Available at farmnewsnow.com or wherever you find your favorite podcast. Agriculture through a modern lens. This is the AgriPod with Alice McFarland. On this episode, an online survey conducted by a Toronto-based public relations company shows 91% of respondents are very or somewhat confident in food grown or produced domestically. Just over 1,000 people were surveyed by Grassroots Public Affairs during the last week of March. Senior consultant Peter Seaman says Canadians are very positive towards agriculture's contributions to the economy and national security. And while Canadians hold very positive opinions of agriculture and agri-food, the intensity of these opinions have decreased in the past year. Peter will share the key findings from the survey and how the results can help shape ag policy. After a successful first year, Cumberland College in Melfort, Saskatchewan is bringing its Agriculture Sciences Certificate Program back again this fall. There is no doubt there continues to be strong demand for skilled agriculture workers. So Lakeland College in Vermilion and Cumberland struck a deal to offer a program to Saskatchewan students, allowing them to earn a certificate closer to home. The one-year program focuses on crop production, where they can learn about plant science and field crops, to weed and herbicide management, pesticide applications, and even going into areas of business records and reporting as it applies to agriculture. The program will benefit students with a background in agriculture, as well as those who are learning about the industry for the first time. Rebecca Bryson and Daniel Ferre with Cumberland College will talk about the program that will give students a good base for a career in ag, or it could be a stepping stone to furthering their agriculture education. After the break, Peter Seaman. Digging into the topics that matter to you, the AgriPod with Alice McFarland. Peter Seaman is a senior consultant with Grassroots Public Affairs, a Toronto-based public relations company. Peter, we're going to talk about a recent survey conducted during the last week of March focusing on public trust in agriculture. But first of all, tell us about your organization and its interest in agriculture. Yeah, thanks. We're an Ontario-based boutique government relations and public relations firm. Uh, I started it 10 years ago, do work both provincially at Queen's Park uh, on issues impacting uh, people in the province of Ontario, and I also have a colleague that's focused on federal issues. And about 10 years ago, we had the good fortune of uh, starting to do some work with the Ontario Federation of Agriculture. That door opened up and uh, gave me exposure to a lot of things I didn't know about before with respect to agri-food. Uh, subsequent to that, we started doing work on the federal level with the Canadian Federation of Agriculture, and it just started to spark an interest uh, with our small firm on the massive opportunities in the agri-food space. And as a result, that's led to us doing this uh, annual poll now three years in and something that we look forward to doing on a regular basis. So it's it's become a passion of ours as a small firm. We do work in other sectors as well. Uh, but we just uh, have been really impressed and inspired by the great opportunity and perhaps the great untold story about Canadian agriculture and, and the opportunities it presents the country as a whole. So that's subsequently where we are and then and a little bit of our background of where we got to today. Now, as you mentioned, uh, this is the third annual Agriculture and Food Research public opinion yeah. poll that you've conducted. Maybe talk about what the focus was, and I'm sure COVID-19 came up, but I understand also that you wanted to repeat some questions just so you could get a little more consistency as to what was going on. Yeah, so exactly. We, um, Whenever we work with clients, we always remind them that you need to step outside of the bubble that's their industry. 
people that live and breathe in industry each and every day uh, sometimes take it for granted that the majority of folks outside the sector, including elected officials, just don't have the level of anywhere near the level of expertise and understanding of the issues that they're dealing with on a day-to-day basis. So what we wanted to do with this poll, and we had done some regional polling for clients before, is really start to get a, an assessment, an understanding of what do everyday Canadians think about agriculture? Uh, what are their impressions? Uh, do they view it positively or negatively? Do they think about it at all? Uh, do they connect it with where and how they get their food? And so as a result, we've been measuring a few questions now a couple years in a row to see if there's uh, a significant change one way or the other on Canadians' attitudes towards certain issues. And basically what we've been finding is that support is strong. Uh, We tend to focus on the negative critics that we hear about sometimes uh, about various things related to agriculture, and we can easily develop a perception that the majority of people uh, feel the same way when this poll, in fact, tells us that that's not true. So there's a lot of work to be done. But the story overall is positive, and uh, again, it speaks to that uh, old adage of the silent majority. We need to tap into those folks and continue telling the positive story about agriculture. That's the intention of the poll, and we've been getting some good, interesting results from it as well. So let's go through some of the key findings, starting with the confidence in the food grown and produced domestically. Um, what what are those uh, statistics look like, and how do they compare to previous polling? So one of the questions we've asked is just how much do you value and trust food grown in Canada versus other jurisdictions in the world? Canadians are typically patriotic folks, so it didn't surprise us that Canadian food grown and processed here was the highest ranked. Uh, But what's been very encouraging is how high it's been ranked. It was over 90% uh, in terms of support over food for, say, example, grown in the U.S. or in Europe or in other places. Um, last year, we saw it spike even higher as there was more negativity around food grown in China, for example. Uh, this last year was 94% of Canadians felt that they were confident in the food grown and produced in Canada versus other countries. Uh, this year, it's down to 91%. But three years in a row, it's right around 90%, which is great. Followed by, interestingly enough, the European Union, then by the United States, then Mexico, China is down at the bottom. We added South America and the Caribbean as a couple other jurisdictions, which are around 40%. But overwhelmingly, Canadians are just very confident about food grown here. They support it. They look for it on the label. And uh, that's a good message to to hear back from uh, consumers right across the country. There's been a lot of attention recently with discussions around business risk management programs. And I'm sure for people not involved in the industry, they hear government support. That's probably what's what's rattling yeah. around in their brains. But what did you find when you polled these people about their feelings about government uh, support of agriculture? Yeah, so we tried a, a bit of a question which you know, is really general and high level because, as you mentioned, most Canadians don't understand the intricacies of the programs and and why it relates. They hear about subsidies, and some people don't like the fact that they're subsidies. Obviously, uh, the 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 quota systems around uh, dairy and 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 more more uh, secondarily, uh, chicken and eggs, poultry and eggs, is, is obviously something that some consumers are aware about. Given that it's sort of risen in the political debate, and some political candidates have. Uh, grabbed onto that as, as an issue one way or the other. But uh, we asked people just to look at various commodities, and if you thought of that commodity, did you support it or not? Would you, would you support the idea of government subsidies going towards that commodity? 
And two years in a row, we sort of come to the conclusion that healthy perceptions matter. So, for example, we included the category of fruits and vegetables. Well, you know, outside of general programs, I don't think there's specific subsidies available to fruit and vegetable growers. But Canadians overwhelmingly view that as the highest and the sector that should get the most support um, in comparison to other ones such as dairy and red meats. So it, it, it all comes down to perception. And we also asked a question around, are you eating more or less of certain foods in the last year? And we are seeing Canadians say that they're eating more uh, uh, things like eggs and seeds and nuts and legumes and pulses and less of red meat, pork and beef. So you're seeing dietary habits change. A lot of it, though, relates to their perceptions of what's healthy and what's not. There were some areas that uh, there was some decline from previous surveys. Things like the importance of uh, agriculture to Canada's landscape or or the likelihood of the agri-food sector to grow. Were those significant declines and was it anything that came out of that was that was concerning to you when you saw those numbers? Yeah, I would really be interested to see what those numbers will look like last or sorry, next year. When I think of last year, we know that when COVID first started impacting Canada and the agri-food sector, you go back 12 months' time, we know there was considerable focus and news coverage on the concerns around farmers being able to get their temporary foreign workers into the country, having enough uh, resources to harvest crops, and what potentially could happen if uh, that was going to continue to be a problem. Uh, in the end, farmers, again, showed their resilience and hard work, and there were, there were some cases and incidents of uh, crops being left in the field. For the most part, Canadians didn't have to worry about food shortages. You know, 12 months ago, we were experiencing something that the vast majority of Canadians probably never experienced before, the thought of going to a grocery store and not being able to get whatever it is you wanted. That was subsequently uh, dealt with, and now out of sight, out of mind. A year ago... There were greater concerns about it, and I believe that there was more support for the agriculture sector. Now we've seen it drop just a little bit. One of the questions we asked was, where do you rank the sector in terms of national importance and even national security? And in two years running, agriculture has come behind our healthcare sector as a priority. Uh, but this year it fell under science, research, and innovation. And we believe that just has to do with all the focus around vaccines, around covid and dealing with a made-in-Canada solution to deal with potentially another uh, pandemic down the future, down the road. So it's, it's what's taking the priority. But think about it, that sector of agriculture and agri-food still ranked higher over things like uh, the energy sector or even the evolving clean energy sector or other manufacturing sectors. Uh, it is front and center of a lot of people's minds and still viewed very positively, which is a good sign. Recent changes have been made to the food guide, and that was another issue that was addressed in in this Mm -hmm. work. How is that information that you receive important to groups like the meat sector, where the food guide recommended more fruits and vegetables, which I don't think anyone would argue, but the meat sector might be concerned about recommendations of consuming less of that particular type of protein. So how is this information important and, and shared with the meat industry to address some of their concerns? Yeah, I was just interested in the level of awareness. And then, again, it's something that we all kind of remember back in elementary school, reading about the, uh, at the time, the four equal, four equal food groups. I remember that visual. I looked it up on the Internet, and it, it suddenly uh, 
was reminiscent of my day in elementary school many, many years ago. Uh, I was surprised how many Canadians suggested that they were aware of the changes. Just under 50% sort of indicated that they were aware of the changes. But over a third of, Ontar- of Canadians uh, were not aware, uh, were, were sort of uh, uncertain about it. So there's a window there where opportunities and um, campaigns for commodities to lead with the uh, nutritional benefits of consuming that product to educate those consumers, because if they're not doing that, there's other groups that are stepping in. What we're going to be doing in the next couple of weeks is breaking down the demographics and looking at the differences in age, also in region of the country, just to see. We, we, we anticipate that there is going to be a greater difference in people probably under 40 as opposed to over 40 as diets change, uh, and also the diversity of Canadians change. But I believe that commodities like the beef farmers and others need to continue their PR programs on educating consumers on the benefit of uh, a healthy diet, including uh, red meats, because they've got a great story to be told there. But they need to fill the space. It's competitive. There's lots of groups out there doing it. But if they don't do it, they're going to be continue to lose market share. So many interesting findings in this report. One, one more I wanted to touch on was lab-grown meat and the survey that was uh, conducted with regards to that. I don't know about you. I still like my chicken and my barbecued steak. And <laughs> lab-grown too. meat has zero appeal to me. But it was a question that, that you brought up. And I, I guess, first of all, why did you think it was important? And tell us what you found out. When we sat down uh, with my uh, pollster, we just thought of what other interesting new topics are are out there, and we're starting to see some of the chain restaurants talk about alternative beef burgers, and I don't think I've ever had one. I've had a vegetarian burger once, but like you, I'll go back to my red meat right away. (laughs) But uh, I I thought it was interesting to see that um, uh, basically you had 10% saying they were very interested to consume it once it was approved. 24% said they were somewhat interested. Uh, 26 said not very, and 33 said not interested at all. So maybe you and I are in that category, Alice. The majority obviously say they're not interested, but there's a, a sizable minority that says, yeah, they would try it. And where is that going to go in the coming years? It's still something that is uh, very uh, small in terms of market share, uh, but different uh, producers and manufacturers and processors are exploring the opportunity of that as consumers start looking for alternatives. So it's out there. It's small. We'll be monitoring that in the years going forward to see if that's just a short-term sort of trend, if you will, or if it's something that's going to take off. Perception is a word that you've used, and I guess perception can't be dismissed because it can have a huge impact on on a lot of sectors in, in agriculture. Oh, yeah. And uh, you probably saw the one question where we just generally asked, have you ever visited a working and operational farm? And I was shocked, and then I wasn't shocked at the results. 70% of Canadians said they've never visited a farm, ever. I mean, I I thought, okay, I kind of grew up in farm country, although I wasn't a farm kid, so I had exposure to farms. But later on, when I moved to the city and had children of my own, we all had an opportunity to go to the local farm, right, to see what was going on. But 70% of Canadians have said they've never been to a farm. And when you think about now multiple generations growing up in large urban centers, 86% of Canadians, according to StatsCan, live in an urban center as opposed to rural communities. That lack of exposure, 
affects perception significantly. Then, without any direct exposure, people start, you know, latching on to opinions and ideas that are expressed on things like social media and online, and, and they're not getting the true story. So there have been some great initiatives by farm groups and individual farms to open up and to showcase what they do, both in person and how we're all working in a virtual world. They need to be done more. I've also been inspired and encouraged by different governments here in Ontario. They've put a big push on the trades and looking at other careers outside of traditional, you know, white-collar, university-educated desk jobs, if you will. And we need to do more of that because Canadians are just, you know, they, they, they're, if they don't see it and they don't have exposure to it, they don't understand it. And uh, we need to work hard as, a, as an industry, as a sector, to uh, provide more opportunities for Canadians to really understand and see what modern agriculture is all about, and the opportunities there for uh, people for jobs, good-paying jobs and careers that uh, offer uh, a lot of uh, positive aspects to it. Once you've compiled this information, Peter, uh, who do you share it with? Well, it's online at our website, uh, www.grassrootspa.ca. You'll find it under the news section. You can look us up on LinkedIn as well, and we'll be producing, as I mentioned, some subsections of data in the coming weeks where we're going to be uh, also drilling down a little bit deeper into some of the stats and taking a closer look. Well, Alice, I appreciate the opportunity. It's always fun to chat with people in other corners of the country, and uh, you're in the heartland of agriculture, and uh, keep doing the great work that you're doing there. I uh, hope to get out there soon one day again after this pandemic lifts. Peter Seaman is a senior consultant with Grassroots Public Affairs. After the break, Rebecca Bryson and Daniel Ferry with Cumberland College talk about a new program providing training for people interested in a career in agriculture. Digging into the topics that matter to you, the AgriPod with Alice McFarlane. Daniel Ferry is the lead instructor for the Agricultural Certificate Program at Cumberland College, a fairly new program. So, Daniel, uh, with this program being offered again, obviously the the first offering went well. It was well received. It's a new role for me too. So everything was kind of new: new instructor, new program, new students, and everything. Uh, from my vantage point, was a very big success. Now, this program is offered in partnership with Lakeland College in Vermilion. So, explain how that collaboration works. Um, so, we, Cumberland College partnered up with Lakeland College um, to offer the first year of a two year program. So, at Lakeland, they offer a two year diploma in agriculture. And so, the way Cumberland fits into this puzzle is we've offered the first year of the two uh, here in Melfort. So it's a mirror image of what would go on in Vermilion. So all the same courses are offered the first year here as they would be in Vermilion. So the courses, the labs, and all that stuff. So the idea is to create a seamless transition for students if they choose to take their second year. Uh, They would have to go to Vermilion for that, but for the students here in Melfort, uh, they could easily transition to Vermilion without even skipping a beat. Now, I would imagine that there were some students that perhaps were able to take classes closer to home rather than moving away to Alberta for their education? Yes, um, and I think that maybe is a bit of an appeal or a bit of a draw for some students. Again, I don't want to put words in other people's mouths, but uh, it allows students, you know, in the, in the local area to, uh, to at least have the option to take their first year here. 
save a little bit of money by living at home yet and, uh, you know, travel that short distance uh, from local, you know, remote communities or local communities into Melfort to uh, take the course. So maybe just describe for us who this program is for. Is it for people that already have some farm experience or is it for those with no experience whatsoever? It's open to anyone who has an interest in agriculture. So you don't have to have an agricultural background of any sort. Uh, Anybody living in town with no relations to a farm background would be more than welcome to to join the program if that's what they chose to to study about and and learn. So let's dive into the specifics of the program, Daniel. I understand this focuses on crop production. So outline the classes that a student would be taking and uh, what topics would be covered. Right. Uh, So this program is focused on crop production. Uh, Vermilion offers an animal component or an animal option, I guess, we aren't set up to have that here in Melfort, and I don't know where that fits in the long-term vision, but for now it is crop production. Classes that the students would be taking are, plant. there's a plant sciences uh, course, there's a weed sciences course, soil sciences, and then we've got things like um, introductory economics, like a microeconomics course. Uh, there's a grain marketing course. We've also got... Uh, I guess it's an introductory course to student-managed farm. And student-managed farm is, I guess, I don't know if I'd necessarily call it the flagship, but that's one of the perks with going to Vermilion, where the students are somewhat groomed to manage a farm. So they work together in collaboration uh, in various management roles to run a farm because the campus over at Vermilion has land and machinery. And um, so they, under the supervision of the uh, instructors, they manage this farm. And so we offer here the introductory course to uh, to the student-managed farm. And in that course, they would be uh, learning about things like uh, conflict resolution and teamwork, group dynamics, leadership, things like that. We have also a pesticide application technology course. So we talk about chemicals and grouping and modes of action, and we talk about um, application technology like uh, nozzles and nozzle types, and, and then we talk about the environmental component uh, related to uh, pesticide application. And so uh, it's a very, it's a well-rounded course. Uh, overall, like all of these courses combined together, it's a very well-rounded course where you have exposure to everything from uh, well, application technology, the chemicals, to the grain marketing side of things, to working in group dynamics, studying about soils and soil classifications. So they, they get exposure to all kinds of things. So in terms of uh, the instruction, how is the time divided in terms of classroom work and labs and, and hands-on? Each course has its own set of requirements uh, as far as lecture time, lab time, they're all, they're all different. Some courses, like the microeconomics, for example, does not have a lab component. By comparison, the soil science course and the plant science course obviously would have a fairly hefty component to dedicated to lab time. With COVID, it's been interesting trying to deliver the program. Uh, I got into this without any preconceived notions, so 
I just kind of figured it. We kind of figured it out here as we went along, and I think that's kind of the theme for COVID in any aspect of mm-hmm. our world. Absolutely. Uh, so we're offering a, it's a blended program. So we're doing approximately half of the time is delivered through an online format, and then the other half is delivered in face-to-face class time. And so the lab times, of course. Uh, we do. We try to structure it so that the labs are face to face and hands on, so we can we can do whatever experiments we can that can be conducted in a classroom. Uh, the tours have been challenging. We've been wanting to try and take tours of various businesses and plants and so on. Well, that hasn't materialized. So I'm hoping that these um, rules can relax a little bit here as we look forward to our next year, and uh, it'll allow us to get into some uh, plant tours. So the students can get a, a bit of a visual perspective of how uh, manufacturing processes can work, for example, or, you know, getting out into uh, a research station as another example. So maybe just explain how your semesters are structured then. So this past year, we had, um, we started in October, uh, middle of October, actually just after Thanksgiving. And we actually just finished up our exams. The nice thing is for those Students coming off out of a farm or have a farming background and take an active role in their grain farms, it allows them the opportunity to seed and spray and, you know, do everything from start to finish as far as the crop uh, production is concerned. So when we started in October, we had four courses and their respective labs, and that finished up in December before Christmas. And then we ran two courses from beginning of January till... Uh, the February break, and then after the February break, we ended up t- uh, doing another four courses and their respective labs. Uh, so that would have been the last week of February till just now. Daniel, lots of great information about this Agriculture Sciences Certificate Program. For anyone that's thinking about taking this course, what would you say to them? I would strongly encourage them, if there's any interest in learning about anything pertaining to agriculture, this course offers a fairly well-rounded program with exposure to all kinds of aspects that you would need to help you manage a farm or participate in in any kind of crop production. Again, I don't don't mean to sound like we're limited to uh, students coming off of an agriculture background. That's definitely not the case. Uh, Anybody who has an interest maybe even in in research, uh, you know, agricultural research, that would be a, a nice place to start. I think it's a fairly well-structured program with um, the ability to uh, launch an education or a career in agriculture. Daniel Ferre is the lead instructor for the Agricultural Certificate Program at Cumberland College. Joining us now is Rebecca Bryson, the post-secondary education coordinator at Cumberland College. So we're talking about the Agriculture Sciences Certificate. Daniel explained what the course itself looks like. So let's talk about how students can apply. First of all, what are the high school requirements for the Agriculture Sciences Certificate at Cumberland College? You bet. Well, we'd like to see that um, all interested applicants come to us with a grade 12. And with that grade 12, they need to have a minimum 50% in English A and B30 foundations 20 or pre-calc 20, and any 20-level core science. 
run through the costs, things like tuition and books, just so we can start the budgeting process. Absolutely. Well, this is a really affordable program. It's a full-year program, and the tuition for it is $5,250. Just for budgeting purposes, I think that families can um, look around that $1,000 to $1,200 for books. It did come in significantly lower for us this year, but we like to give you a bigger number so that you're you're planned for um, worst-case scenario. Um, Under that books and tuition, we also charge a student fee, which is $85. And one really cool thing I want to touch on is that with Cumberland College, the students do have access to our health and dental plan. And that's an additional $252 for the year. And it includes things like prescriptions and chiropractor and massages and vision care. So definitely worthwhile for students um, when they do come to Cumberland College. And how long is this particular program? And maybe explain how uh, the semesters are structured. Sure. Well, like I mentioned, it's um, theoretically a year-long program, but we've altered the start and end dates a little bit to be a lot more farm-friendly. So we're hoping that the um, we capture that after harvest start. Um, our start date will be October 12th. And, I mean, as you know, we never have control over what Mother Nature does for us, but we're really hoping that that October 12th start allows students to get some summertime work on the farm and then start with us. And then we're going to be ending on April 23rd, and hopefully that's a little bit before they start getting busy again in the summer with seeding and things like that. So... The way we kind of have it broken down is we've got three semesters, so totaling that 10-class offering for the, uh, excuse me, that first semester, we've got um, being nine weeks, and it's kind of running from October to December, and you've got four classes in there. And then the second semester is just short. So we've got six weeks, and you do two classes, runs January and February. And then our final third semester is, again, another nine-week semester with four classes, and that one runs February to April. The pandemic has certainly uh, caused a lot of issues and concerns as far as education goes, so is the hope that the program will be uh, like the full in-class sessions, or are you planning it to be virtual? Actually, we're going to be offering a combination program. So basically, we've been using the term hybrid model, which means that we have a combination of in-class and virtual learning. So when I use the term virtual learning, I don't want people to think that that's online. The virtual is actually scheduled classes at scheduled times. So if you were doing tillage, it might be scheduled on Tuesdays and Thursdays. And our instructor, Dan, he'd be teaching you from 10 till 11 that day, and you'd be a student regular hours. So it's not online. It's virtual where you might be at home, and then Daniel might be at his home teaching you um, through the computer. We also have a lot of opportunities for the students to come on campus, just depending on what COVID does with us um, come fall. But our plan, like I said, is to sort of be offering this program in a hybrid model where you have a combination of in-class and virtual learning. When we talk a little bit about that virtual learning, um, I just want students to know that they will need access to reliable internet. And uh, with that, a laptop um, to be able to work on their virtual components. Once a student has the certificate, you do have an option to continue with another program. So maybe explain that diploma program. Absolutely. So there's some really exciting opportunities for our students that start with us here at Cumberland College in Melfort. Uh, They have the opportunity to move on to year two and complete their diploma at Lakeland College. 
And so they would be going to the Vermilion campus um, and then completing another year there to get their diploma. Um, one of the really cool things I'd like to mention with that um, moving on to Vermilion is that they have the opportunity to be involved in a student-managed farm. And for anybody that's familiar with the Lakeland program and is aware of the student-managed farm, it's a really great opportunity for students to have some very concrete hands-on learning where they're having the opportunity to run the farm at Vermilion. So our students that ladder from the Melfort program have the opportunity to take on management roles within that student-managed farm, and so they have the same opportunities as a student that would have completed the certificate in Vermilion, um, moving on to complete their diploma. Um, if I have a chance, Alice, I'd like to tell you just about a couple other things that students can do after they are completed with their certificate as well. They can. There's um, a really new, exciting adventure um, at Lakeland's Bachelor of Agriculture Technology program, and again, that is at the Vermilion campus in Alberta, so it's another opportunity for the students to sort of move on. And then for those that do want to look into the degree options after they've completed the diploma, there's lots of opportunities for moving on to university. There are U of A, U of uh, Lethbridge, and then there's also transfer credits available to U of S. So, so many opportunities for students if they want to do the certificate and be done in a year, or if they want to move on and complete two years or go for a full degree. Lots of opportunities. So once students have certificate in hand, uh, what kind of jobs are out there right now that graduates of this program could be applying for? Sure. Well, I sort of anticipated your question and did a quick search of SAS jobs this morning. And just doing that quick search of SAS jobs, there's 120 in Saskatchewan alone that just referenced agriculture. And within them, just some of the ones that I found that specifically would have related to the skills that our students received this first year, some things like managers with some of those major organizations like Nutrien, relationship managers, ag sales reps, service writers. So lots of opportunities for students, even just coming out with that first year before they even decide to ladder between um, diplomas and degrees. Now, you did talk about the program start for October, so tell us about the deadlines to apply. Sure. So like I said, we're going to be starting this on October 12th, just right after Thanksgiving, and the deadline to apply uh, is July 15th. And I would encourage anybody that's interested to go onto our website and take a look at that, so www cumberlandcollege.sk.ca. We have all of the information on there. You can apply online. There's no fee to apply. Um, however, once you're ready to secure your seat, you pay a seat deposit, and that holds your spot for the program in October. And being offered for a second year, obviously you had a lot of input from people that have been involved with the program to make any tweaks to it that they felt would be helpful. I'm just really grateful that we got lots of input from current students in industry about um, changing that potential start date from earlier uh, to October 13th. So I think it's a really good opportunity for students to both work and then come to school and then be ready to go back and work on the family farm over the summer once they're finished their schooling. Rebecca Bryson is the post-secondary education coordinator at Cumberland College, and we've been talking about the relatively new agricultural certificate program that's being offered in Saskatchewan with uh, close ties to the Alberta program at Lakeland College in Vermilion. 
It's time for the weekly agriculture news roundup for the week of April nineteenth, two thousand and twenty-one. Farm groups were looking for more details on a carbon tax rebate mentioned in this week's federal budget. Agriculture Producers Association of Saskatchewan President Todd Lewis said the carbon issue caught his attention, especially fifty million dollars for the purchase of energy-efficient grain dryers. The National Farmers Union was happy to see action being taken towards implementing. Of a universal childcare program, that program would get thirty billion dollars. The Canadian Federation of Agriculture was pleased with several key announcements in the budget that recognized a number of CFA's pre-budget submission recommendations. In analyzing the budget, the Western Canadian wheat growers saw little that would benefit grain farmers. Saskatchewan Director Sherilyn Jolly Nagel said the feds want a 30% reduction in greenhouse gases by limiting nitrogen fertilizer use. She said that's not the direction farmers need to go, and added there still isn't a carbon credit for farmers who run no-till or low-till operations. The Canadian Grain Commission announced the suspension of five primary licenses and one grain dealer license. The commission said in a tweet the licenses of WA Grain and Pulse Solutions were suspended until April 30th. It is prohibited from selling stocks in store, accepting producer deliveries, and contracting new grain sales. CGC said any producer owed money by this company for grain deliveries should contact the commission immediately, and anyone doing business with the company as of April 20th will not be protected by security under the Canada Grain Act. WA Grain and Pulse Solutions has facilities in Alberta, Southern Saskatchewan, and Prince Edward Island. Agro Pure Cooperative announced it would be closing its fluid milk plant in Winnipeg. The plant's operations will be transferred to other Agro Pure fluid milk facilities in Western Canada. Given current market conditions, Agro Pure made the decision to concentrate its fluid milk manufacturing operations at facilities in Burnaby, Victoria, and Edmonton. A total of 48 employees will be affected by the closure planned for September 24th. Agro Pure processes more than 6.6 billion liters of milk per year at its 33 plants across North America. And Canadian Western Agribition announced they plan to return to a full show in 2021. CEO Chris Lane says the 50th show will be headlined by 12 national breed shows, the only time all breeds have held their national competitions under one roof. The show will also include a culinary attraction, the nationally sanctioned Agribition Supreme Barbecue Championship, professional rodeo, and an indoor trade show. At the annual meeting, the Agrivision Board also reported an operational loss of roughly $774,000, directly attributed to the postponement of last year's show. If you like what you've heard, you can rate and review wherever you get your podcasts, and make sure to subscribe to AgriPod with Alice McFarland for more weekly episodes. The AgriPod is produced by Colby Heiss with host and CJVR Agriculture Director Alice McFarland, and is a division of the Jim Patterson Broadcast Group. Available wherever you find your favorite podcast, and at FarmNewsNow dot com.